Open your Bibles with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll just, I'll tell you now, I have two texts of Scripture to read for the message today. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be reading in a little bit from Judges chapter 11. If you want to, if you want to find that spot and put a, a bookmarker there or your Bible ribbon. But I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read that scripture. And then I'm going to start my message. And I'm going to get into it a little bit. And then I'm going to read the second scripture that I want that ties in with that, um, that I want to read. So the first one is kind of a, a short one. And so if you are, are able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? I'm at Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great faith chapter, right? People of faith. And I want you to go down to verse 32. We're going to skip over a lot of those names that we know. Go down to verse 32 with me. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, the word of God says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, and whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So in the midst of this long list of people of faith is one name that you may not be real familiar with, and the name is Jephthah. And I want to preach a message this morning titled, The Man Who Came Back. The Man Who Came Back. He literally came back, but he also had a comeback. And I believe God has a comeback for you or for somebody who's listening to me. So let me pray over what we're about to do here. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray this day that you would anoint me, your servant, put your thoughts in my mind, your words in my mouth. I pray, God, that you will make the hearts of all who hear this message to be fertile soil and your word to be seed that is planted and takes root and grows and changes our lives. Let us be blessed by your presence in this place as we worship you, as we study and learn from your word together. And we give you all thanks, all praise, all glory. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask it. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. God bless you. When I was a little boy, I decided one day I was going to run away. I bet I've never told that story here. <laughs> in, in fact, come to think of it, I don't think I have ever told this story to my mother who is sitting here on the front seat. <laughs> so for any kids that might hear this message, let me just tell you, there are probably going to be some things in your life that you want to wait till you're in your 50s to tell your mom or dad. <laughs> At least you'll be too old for them to spank. 
But there I was. I was about, oh, four, maybe four or five years old. I don't know. And I just, I just had about enough. Life was so hard, and I didn't, know, I didn't know where I was going. In fact, I didn't have anywhere to go. <clears throat> and wherever it was, it wasn't going to be very far because I couldn't drive. And I'm not even sure I could even ride a bicycle yet, but I was going. And wherever I was going, I wasn't going to stay very long because I didn't have any food to eat. And I didn't have a job or any money to go buy food either. I mean, it was really something I hadn't planned out very well because I was only about four years old, maybe five. And, and I don't remember the exact details as to what led me to that decision to run away. But as I recall, it had something to do with Tommy, my older brother. <laughs> he, he wouldn't let me do something that I wanted to do, or, or, or in some way he hurt my little feelings. I don't know. He was only about seven, maybe at the time, or eight. And it was just too much for me to handle, y'all. And so I decided I was just going to run away. And so I set out walking. And I walked, oh, across the yard and up the driveway a little ways and then probably back across the yard. And, and I, was, I was walking slow enough for Tommy to come and stop me. And he did. And since he was bigger and since it was almost dinner time, I, I figured I probably should just go back across the yard, <laughs> back home. And so, you see, I never really, I never really left home. But boy, I was running away. But I never left because even at four years old, I was smart enough to know better. <laughs> oh, sometimes... Isn't it amazing how we just decide we're just going to run away from it all? Now, I've lived a lot of days since that day. And I've discovered that life can, can be a whole lot more difficult than what I thought it was so long ago. <laughs> and, you know, over the years, I, as a pastor, I've known a lot of people. I don't know how many times this has happened to me where people who are so overwhelmed with the difficulties of life will say to me, Pastor, I just feel like running away. I, I heard some amens there. I see other people have thought about running away. I just feel like running away, and I truly understand that. I mean, you know, maybe it's a job where you don't feel appreciated or wanted anymore. Woo. Or maybe a relationship of some kind where someone has pushed you away. And maybe they've indicated in one way or another that, that they don't want you in their life anymore. Or maybe it's just a lot of things that have accumulated over time 
and have left you feeling overwhelmed? Have you ever just felt so overwhelmed with stuff that you just you just want to throw some things in a suitcase and get in your car or your truck and just drive and see where you end up and just start over somewhere else, a clean slate or a fresh start or a new place away from the old stuff and the old struggles and the pain. I mean, have you ever just felt like running away to some other place? I have. Even as an adult, I've had those days. It's different when you're an adult because you have something called responsibilities. <laughs> I've kind of jokingly said, you know, if, if I didn't have all these responsibilities, I'd run away from all of them. <laughs> but I understand, and so does God. And sometimes as an adult, the thought of just leaving and going someplace else and starting over can just feel so refreshing. But what if you were pushed out? What if you were run off, ran off? What if you were pushed out by others who hate you and reject you and just overwhelmed by the rejection, you just ran away to start over somewhere else only for God to bring you back again for his purpose. So this is, the, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, this is a message about hate. It is a message about rejection, but it's a message about a comeback. And it's a message about Jephthah. I want to just, here, here's, here's where I'm going with this so you'll know when we're near through. I want, to I want to introduce you to the man named Jephthah and tell you about his life. And then I want to talk to you about a nation who needs Jephthah. And then I want to talk to you about the man who came back. So let's, let's start with the man named Jephthah. Let me introduce you to him and, and sort of tell you his, his story. In Hebrews 11 where I read my first scripture, we find this long list of people of faith. And if you've been around church much or if you've read the Bible very much, you know just about every name on the list. You at least know who they are. You've heard of them. And most of them are people that you know something about. You, you know something about their story. If, if we just skim down through chapter 11, you'll see names on this list like Abel and Enoch, Noah, Sarah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses. And you, you know them. You recognize their names. You know something of their story. And you even know about the prostitute named Rahab who's mentioned in verse 31. When the writer of Hebrews gets to verse 32, he says, what more shall I say? I don't, e I don't even have time to tell about the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, and Samuel, and we still recognize those names 
and can even tell something about their story that we find in Scripture. But there is this one name that the writer of Hebrews mentions, Jephthah, that most Christians may not recognize and may, may not certainly may not find it or easy to tell anything about his story, his life, and yet he is one of the people who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. He's one of the ones who escaped the edge of the sword, and he's one whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So even though he did some really great things through faith, he's someone whose name we may not know, let alone his story. He's just not someone we hear a lot of sermons preached about. To be honest, I'm not sure I've ever preached a sermon about him. And yet he's listed in Hebrews 11 as this man of tremendous faith who conquered kingdoms. But he was also a man who was hated. And he was pushed away. He was a man who had to leave. But he was also the man who came back to escape the edge of the sword and whose weakness was turned to strength. He's the man whose life becomes a testimony for others who've been hated and rejected, but whose weakness will one day be turned to strength when they also come back. All right, so he's mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11, but his story is told in Judges chapter 11. So go there with me, and let me read the rest of the story. Judges chapter 11. And I'll just tell you the first three verses of this chapter, if this was a movie, the first three verses would be a flashback. They're, they're told, it's, they're almost as a backstory to the big picture of what's going on in the lives of God's people. And... I'm going to try to tell his story in maybe a little bit more of a chronological fashion or order. I'm going to begin in verse 1, and then I'm going to go back to the big picture. I want to show you what happened first. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Some translations say he was a man of valor. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Shame on Gilead. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. Listen to what they said. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are not the son, you are the son of another woman. Some translations read, you're the son of a strange woman, a foreigner. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. That's just a beautiful, the NIV has a beautiful way of saying what kind of people these guys are. Some translations say they were vain men. Verse 4, sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead 
went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? I bet everybody in this room has a few friends like that. The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. <laughs> Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be our head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? And the elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. I mean, wow. What a story. So what we know about Jephthah is that he was born as the son of a Jewish father named Gilead who had one wife who bore him sons, but apparently Gilead went out and had relations with a foreigner, a prostitute, probably perhaps at least a Canaanite who was a prostitute. And from that adulterous relationship, that prostitute became the mother of Jephthah. So his dad is Jewish and his mother is a foreign prostitute. Now, his Jewish father at least had the decency to bring Jephthah into his home as one of his sons. But understand that for his whole life, Jephthah had grown up always being known as the son of a strange woman, the son of a prostitute. He grew up in a home eating at his father's table, but I'm sure being constantly reminded that although you live here, you are not one of us. I don't know if you have ever had to deal with living in an environment where you were hated. In an environment where those around you never run out of ways of reminding you that you just don't belong here and that you're not really wanted here. But over time, all the little jabs, all the sneers, all the sarcastic whispers, all the put downs begin to take their toll as the utter hate and contempt they feel for you just seethes over into every task and every toil of everyday life. Imagine the looks his stepmother must have given him. Jephthah is a constant reminder of her husband's infidelity. Imagine having to raise the child that your husband fathered by a Canaanite prostitute in your own home. 
So how many times had Jephthah heard Mrs. Gilead say, you're not my son. You're just the son of a Canaanite prostitute. How many times had Jephthah overheard conversations about himself through walls that were thin? Or how many times had the conversation ceased when he walked in the room? I wonder how many names had he been called? And how many times was he made fun of or belittled or berated in some way? Until one day, the, the, the only person in the home who seemed to care for him, his father, Gilead, died. And now it was time to divide up the inheritance they would receive from the father. And even though from the wording in scripture, it seems that Jephthah was the firstborn son of Gilead, he was still considered what he had always been considered, just an illegitimate son of a Canaanite prostitute. And now Gilead's legitimate sons, Jephthah's half-brothers, said to him, you're not going to get any inheritance in our family because you're just the son of another woman, the son of a prostitute. You'll never amount to anything, not in this family. You won't get, you won't get one penny of our father's estate. You have no inheritance here. And something finally snapped in Jephthah. He, he had had just about enough. He just couldn't take it anymore. And, and we know from scripture that he was a man acquainted with Jewish scripture and with Israel's history. So we, we have every reason to believe that he had lived his life for the Lord, the God of Israel, but he was just finished. I mean, it's enough. He couldn't take anymore. And he decided to run away from it all and just leave and go somewhere else to live and start a new life away from those who hated him and despised him so much, away from all of the pain and the suffering. He decided to run away. Now, let me, let me, let me just, this leads me to something I want to mention for somebody to hear let me talk to you about an empty life. The scripture tells us that he fled to the land of Tob near Syria, which we suspect may be where his biological mother was from. And it tells us that soon he became the leader of a group of adventurers. What a nice translation. The King James Version says they were vain men, meaning they were worthless men. And the Hebrew sheds a little bit of light on this to help us understand this better. The Hebrew word is a word that means to make empty. It speaks of people who are just idle and probably bored because they don't have anything to do. And they're, they're looking for something to do. See, we, we have a society with a lot of those kind of people. Their life is empty. And idleness, as I recall from my youth, is the devil's workshop. <laughs> Understand that, that verse 1 tells us he had been a mighty man of valor, a mighty warrior. 
But now after all the years of hate and abuse and after running away from it all, he's a man whose life is just completely empty. Isn't it amazing what someone else's words or what other people's attitude toward you can do to your life? Words can destroy. People who have allowed their hearts to be filled with hate will destroy you. Hang on a minute. Somebody needed to hear that. People who have allowed their hearts to be filled with hate will destroy you. Not with swords and spears, but with words and with contempt. They'll attack you with their words until you feel empty inside. Listen, let me, let me tell you one of the things that's wrong with this nation. And that can destroy a nation. I have never in my life seen so many people in our country so filled with utter hate and contempt for the people of God. If as a Christian, you don't agree with their sinful ways or their sinful philosophy of life, they don't just disagree with you. The hate that's in their heart, because it's out of the heart, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The hate that's in their heart will pour out in words of contempt and loathing until you are now what our culture calls canceled by other people's words. Canceled. It's like you don't matter anymore. You're, you're just a nobody whose opinion is stupid and doesn't matter and who shouldn't even be allowed to live and move about in the earth. And you become the cause of everything wrong in this world and everything miserable in their life. And so they want to cancel you from our culture. Oh, pastor, come on. Isn't that a bit of a harsh analysis? No, no, no. This was, this was spoken of long ago in Scripture. Proverbs tells us of a generation who will curse their fathers and who will not bless their mothers. And it tells us that this evil generation will will be pure in their own eyes and yet not be cleansed of their own filth. It tells us that their eyes are, are going to be haughty and their glances are disdainful. And listen, it tells us that their teeth are swords and their jaws are set with knives to devour. Proverbs 30. In Proverbs 11, verse 9, it tells us that with his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and it is with words that an evil person seeks to literally destroy the righteous. It tells us in Proverbs 16 that pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. But in Proverbs 15, it tells us that cruel words 
crush your spirit. And so when he had had enough, Jephthah fled to the land of Tob where he led this group of men whose lives are described as being empty. Through evil words, Jephthah has gone from being a mighty warrior, a man of valor, to being a man whose life just seemed empty and meaningless. The people of Gilead, whose words were so cruel, thought they didn't need Jephthah anymore. They thought they could just destroy him and run him off with cruel words, but God wasn't finished with him yet. And that leads me to a nation that needs Jephthah. To a nation full of hate who thinks they can just cancel all things biblical, all things Christian. To those who think that with cruel words of hate and contempt they can cancel the Jephthah in their nation or in their life. I would say that you may hate Jephthah today, but the day will come when you will need a Jephthah. And to all the Jephthahs who have been canceled by the culture of an evil generation, I have come to tell you that while Jephthah was hidden away in the land of Tob feeling empty and worthless, God was working in his sovereignty to turn things around. You see, at this time in the history of God's people, after the judge named Jair had died, they had enjoyed 45 years of peace and prosperity, and they had grown quite comfortable. They were blessed. But after their God-given leader, Jair, died, they soon fell away from the things of God. Now, this is back in chapter 10. They fell away from the things of God again and they began to worship the false gods of their neighbors. And so God turned them over to their oppressors again. And this, of course, had been a pattern all through the book of Judges. So God turned them over. It says that he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them. And for 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. You know, you would have thought by now that God's people would have learned a lesson because from the time of Othniel to the time of Gideon, they had already been through this cycle a number of times and had suffered over 50 years of painful oppression because of their sinfulness, this cycle of backsliding. And it's been said that when God chastens us in love and we're suffering because of our sins, it's easy to cry out to him for deliverance and make all kinds of promises. But when we're comfortable and enjoying his blessings, we tend to forget God and assume that we can sin and get away with it. You see, comfortable living often produces weak, character. So understand that it's while things were good and they were living in the blessings of God that they had received during the days of Jair that they fell away and their hearts became filled with hate. And they decided to get rid of Jephthah. Isn't that just like our nation? See, we've been through this cycle many times. We, we, 
we'll backslide and God will give us some hard times. And then we'll, we'll fill the churches. And then God will bless us again. And then our character weakens. We start drifting away from the things of God. And we go through some other battles, some other struggles, some other difficulties. And here we go crying out to God again. When we live for God and serve him and honor him, he blesses us. But when we get comfortable, our character begins to weaken. And soon people's hearts begin to fill up with bitter hate for anybody like Jephthah. They will soon hate anybody who is a man or woman of valor, a mighty warrior for God. And it's during a time of prosperity and blessing that they'll just decide to cancel Jephthah. Jephthah, you don't matter. You're not one of us. So you'll have no inheritance here. You just need to be quiet. You just need to go away. But to a culture that would cancel the mighty warriors, I would warn you that God is working behind the scenes of everything going on and in his sovereignty, God is creating your need for some Jephthahs in this land. To the cancel culture of our modern day nation, I would say that you better be careful who you cancel. You better be careful trying to silence the voice of Holy Scripture and, and you better not try to silence the voice of the church. You should be careful who you think you can live without in this land. You should be careful burning bridges with people you think you don't need in your life. And to the wicked employer, I would say be careful who you think you don't need working in your business. Jephthah just happens to be the person God has chosen to lead his people to victory. And that man or woman of God that you think you can just cancel from culture altogether just might be the man or woman that God has chosen to be your Jephthah to lead you to victory in the days ahead. Well, you may not feel like you need that person now, but you will. You don't know that you're rejecting what you'll one day need. See, they didn't know that. And let me just say to all the Jephthahs out there that I'm preaching to. You've been hated and belittled and berated and cast aside. Maybe you feel like your life is empty. Maybe you used to be a mighty warrior. But now the abuse of those who hated you has left you feeling like life is just empty. Let me preach to you a minute. God's not finished with you yet. If you've ever been hated by somebody because of just your mighty valor. God is not finished with you yet. He's working behind the scenes. The land of Tob is not the end of your story. God knows how to cause the very people who hated you and rejected you to one day look up to you and to need you. Oh, yes. They may have spoken some cruel words to you that crushed your spirit, but the day will come when they will need you. And they'll call you. And they'll message you. Because they need you to pray for them. They'll need your faith. They think they don't need you today. They may even hate you today, but God knows how to make it so that one day they will need you. 
And to all the Jephthahs out there I'm preaching to, God is not finished with you yet. He's just got you on standby in the land of Tob. He's getting you ready for his great purpose. He's getting you ready for a comeback. And that brings me to the man who came back. I love this story. Raise your hand if you have friends like this. Maybe family. Don't raise your hand if they're here. So the day came after 18 years of oppression <clears throat> when those who hated and rejected Jephthah needed him and they needed him very badly. It tells us that when the Amorites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, and this is right before chapter 11, here's what they said to each other. Whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. And they look around and they wait for somebody to step up and go, I'll do it. But the problem is, there's no mighty man of valor to do it. Because you ran him off 18 years ago. And when they couldn't find anyone willing to lead the attack, someone must have said, man, I wish we still had Jephthah here in Gilead. You see, when things get bad enough, the very people who make fun of you for your faith will seek you out for your faith. Those who make fun of your faith will want you to pray for them when things get bad enough. I've seen it many times. So they sent a delegation on an 80-mile journey down to the land of Tob to ask Jephthah to come back and help them. Now let me just ask you, if those who hated you and who ran you off and who rejected you, if they came back 18 years later to ask you, a man or woman of faith, to help them, what would you do? I mean, I'd like to think I would, but there's probably a reason God let me be born a long time after this was written in his Bible. Now, there's some wisdom here for us in the way Jephthah handled this. And if you're, if you're really relating to Jephthah today in this message, you need to hear his wisdom. First of all, he didn't let them just pretend that nothing had ever happened. He said, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? See, some people can do you 20 kinds of wrong. And when they need you, they'll just act like they've never done anything to you but good. I mean, I know somebody out there listening to this might be saying, well, he's done quit preaching and gone to meddling. But, but others are saying, come on, preach it. <laughs> but it's true, they, they can act like you're the one that did them wrong. They can act like you're the one with the problem. Huh. Oh, yeah, now shout. Woo. 
because they've never done anything wrong to you. But Jephthah didn't let them act like they were innocent. He confronted them for what they had done to him 18 years ago. And notice they didn't want to talk about that. When he confronted them, when, the, when he confronted them about it, they said, well, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, we are turning to you now. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to bring up all that old stuff. I mean, oh, I can so relate to this story. So they made him an offer to make him the leader of the land. And let me give you some more wisdom if you're relating to Jephthah in this. Jephthah didn't just say, all right, fine. He challenged their off offer to him and he said, oh, really? Really? In other words, I'm supposed to trust you now. And so here's what he did. He went back to Mizpah and he made them ratify their agreement before the Lord. Do you know what that is? It's kind of like a, a, um, an oath of death. It's kind of like saying, may God strike me dead if we don't do this. He made them ratify their agreement before the Lord. And in verse 11, it says, so Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, made the people, uh, and the people made him head and commander over them. And I want you to see something very important. If you relate to Jephthah, if you feel like you're just wasted, and if you feel like your life is just empty down in the land of Tob, I want you to grab this. Jephthah left his home hated and rejected as the son of a Canaanite prostitute. But God brought him back as the mighty warrior he used to be. And as captain of the army and as the leader of the whole land. Listen, whew, when God brings you back, he really brings you back. Can you imagine the look on the faces of his half-brothers when he came riding in as the captain and the leader? If you read the rest of his story, he's not a perfect man. You'll see that. But he started the battle with diplomacy. Here's some more wisdom for you if anybody has ever hated you. Diplomacy is a biblical thing. It's a, it's a godly character, characteristic. He certainly revealed his knowledge of the word of God and he gave the king of Ammon a lesson on Israel's history and God's work of victory in their lives. They sent some messengers back and forth until finally it was clear that diplomacy wasn't going to work in this case. Because listen, there, there are some people who are just not open to diplomacy. There comes a time with some people where diplomacy is over. And I want you to see, in, in flip over to verse 28, it tells us the king of Ammon paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. You see that? So diplomacy is over. But what I want you to get as we close, I want you to see verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. 
I know that when people hate you, when they reject you and say bad things about you, sometimes you feel like just running away. It can take a man or a woman who used to be a mighty warrior and leave them feeling like their life is just empty and worthless. But when the Spirit of the Lord came on him, something changed. And I know that because the writer of Hebrews tells us what it was. It says he became powerful in battle. And I love this line, because his weakness was turned to strength. I know that hateful people sure can weaken you. But God will bring you back and make you strong. So don't be afraid to come back. Has this been helpful? It's what God laid on my heart. I want you to stand with me. Somebody needed to hear it. I hope it wasn't just me. God is a God of comebacks. He's good at taking underdogs and making them captains, leaders. He's good at taking what people wound and hurt and weaken. He's good at taking that and making it strong again. So find hope and faith in that. Amen? Let me pray for you. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the story of the life of Jephthah. And what it means to each of us who have listened and heard. And I pray now that, that your word and your spirit would speak to each one who have heard this message. I pray that you will encourage those who have been weakened, maybe through words of other people who hated them. Maybe there are people out there, God, who feel that their life is just empty because of the years of the abuse that they've been through verbally, emotionally. But God, I pray that you will set everything in motion for them to come back. And when you bring them back, I pray that you will turn their weakness to strength. And let this be a day that they find great hope and comfort and faith in that promise. I pray a blessing over these, your people. I pray that you will go with them, give them your favor, cause your face to shine upon them and let that light shine through them into the lives of other people around them as you grow the body of Christ through this congregation. And we give you praise. We give you glory. You are worthy and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.